G'day, mate. 40 here. There's a big article in the New York Times how streaming stars pay the price of online fame. Did you know that stars on Twitter viewers into their home virtually? What happens when one shows up in person? Okay, let's go to Tucker. A half for the Biden administration to destroy the American economy and drive this nation into a recession. Now, the Biden administration won't admit that we're in a recession. In fact, they've tried to redefine the word recession, just as they've redefined the words democracy and racism and woman. But you don't need to know what the word is to know what is happening. If you live here, you see it every single day. We're in a recession. The economy has been shrinking all year. Real wages are at record lows. And at the same time, inflation is the highest it's been in the lifetime of most Americans. So call it whatever you want, but it's a recession and it's scary and they're ignoring it. We're gonna spend the next hour investigating how exactly this happened. How did they tank the economy so fast and what does it mean? And to get to the answers to those questions, we're gonna to speak to people who have actual credibility on economics. And that emphatically does not include our most highly credentialed economists. People who like the public health experts we've watched for the last two and a half years have thoroughly beclowned and discredited themselves. A year ago, right about the time he told us that vaccines will absolutely prevent you from getting or transmitting COVID, Joe Biden was asked about, hey, what happens if we go into a recession? In response, as he invariably does, Joe Biden invoked highly credentialed experts. Watch this. We also know that as our economy has come roaring back, we've seen some price increases. Some folks have raised worries that this could be a sign of persistent inflation. But that's not our view. Our experts believe, and the data shows, that most of the price increases we've seen are, were expected and are expected to be temporary. Every word read off a teleprompter. A decade from now, we're going to see tape like that and think, I cannot believe that man was the president of the United States. But consider what his handlers wrote for him. The experts Biden was referring to are, in fact, some of the most well-credentialed figures in all of academic economics. In fact, two months later, in September of last year, 17 winners of the Nobel Prize in economics signed a letter urging Joe Biden to spend as much money as possible. And we're quoting the Build Back Better package, they wrote, will transform the U.S. economy to be more efficient without presenting an inflationary threat. So go ahead and spend more money, create it out of thin air, print it, and there's no chance you'll get inflation. Winners of the Nobel Prize in economics said that. If you took Econ 101, you're laughing at that. By the way, it wasn't just them. The chairman of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, said the same thing. Quote, the incoming data are very consistent with the view that inflation will move down toward our goals, Powell said. <laughs> it's like idiotic. And it turned out not to be true. Now, the remarkable thing, the way you know this isn't simply incompetence, they did this on purpose, is what happened when these so-called experts were exposed as frauds, which they are. Not a single one of these eminent Nobel Prize winning economists ever apologized for the letter they wrote or even explained how they got it wrong. They're still saying the same thing. Spend more money and it won't affect inflation because when you have much more of something, it's worth the same. Oh, because supply and demand isn't real. They're all saying this to the extent they're even paying attention. Most of them aren't. 
they're way off into lifestyle liberal land, like they all are. They're worried about trans rights. The St. Louis Fed, for example, one of the most important financial institutions in the United States, one of the banks that make up the central bank. They've been conducting studies about what? About what monetary policy would be best to avoid complete economic collapse? Well, you'd think so. That's their job. But that's not what they've been doing. Instead, for the past month, we're not making this up. The St. Louis Fed has been meditating on equity, a term that in no trouble. one can really define, but clearly means your life, Mr. and Mrs. American, is about to get much worse. So just as Joe Biden ordered when he took office, equity is now the top priority of the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. Again, books will be written about this years from now, and no one will believe it actually happened, but it's real. Take a look at their website. Some of the top articles on the website, on the blog of the St. Louis Fed include, quote, racial and ethnic disparities in access to COVID-19 relief, COVID-19 disruption by race, ethnicity, and geography, the role of diversity in public institutions, and reducing racial employment gaps for young adults without college education. Now, again, this is not a syllabus from the sociology department at Brandeis. This is the Fed. These are the people in charge of our monetary policy who are supposed to be keeping America from collapsing, but they're ignoring their actual job in favor of pretending that they're professors at Brandeis. It's lunatic. And they're still talking this way. In April, well after it was very clear inflation was not transitory, Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, former head of the Fed, someone who should be charged for what she did to the U.S. economy, gave a speech not about the U.S. economy. She's the Treasury Secretary. No. What about climate change? And why climate change, climate, is more important than saving the United States. And we're quoting, we must redouble our efforts to decarbonize our economies, Yellen said at an address at the Atlantic Council. Keep in mind, Janet Yellen doesn't know anything about climate. She can't drive a standard transmission. She knows nothing about the material world. But there she is spouting off on climate change and decarbonizing, reading every stupid faddish talking point the Atlantic Council audience wanted to hear about. And she's still doing it. We're in a slowdown, she said on Sunday, and it's not affecting too many sectors of the economy, says Janet Yellen. Watch. This is not an economy that's in recession, but we're in a period of transition in which growth is slowing and that's necessary and appropriate, and um, it, we need to be growing at a steady and sustainable pace. So there is a slowdown, and businesses can see that, and that's appropriate given that people now have jobs and we have a strong labor market. But you don't see any of the signs now. A, a, a recession is a broad-based contraction that affects many sectors of the economy. We just don't have that. Okay, let's be clear. Jenny Allen is a completely incompetent affirmative action hire who did profound generational damage to the United States during her time running the Fed. Now she's doing the same while running the Treasury Department. And yet no one ever calls her on it. The things she say, says doesn't make sense. She can't even predict inflation when every single other person in the country knew it was coming based on the federal government's spending patterns. Keep spending money. That's what she's still saying. Everyone in the Biden administration is saying that. In May, the head of USAID, Samantha Power, she's back, declared that worldwide fertilizer shortages were actually a good thing. Starvation's a good thing because that means Fewer carbon emissions. Never let a crisis go to waste, she said. She actually said that. 
Inside the White House, no one's even pretending to care as the U.S. economy falls apart. They're not worried about the oil supply. In fact, they're selling our oil to our main global rival, China. They're not worried about the stock market. They couldn't tell you if it's up or down. They cannot even define a recession. The one thing they're sure of is everything's fine, except for the trans community, which is suffering under your bigotry. Here's our press secretary. And nothing has changed on how we see the stock market. Uh, we do not, that's not something that we keep an eye on every day. What is the latest update the White House has received on the current info formula situation across the country? Yeah, let me see if I have anything new for you on that. Uh, Does the president mind that some of this oil that was meant to uh, ease pain for consumers is headed overseas? I have not seen that report, so I would honestly have to go look into it and see what what the truth is in that in that uh, statement that you just laid out and see exactly what's happening. I, I just have not seen that report. Is he adamant that there is not going to be recession? Well, I mean, it's not it's not our definition, right? We're talking about a definition from NBER. And what is exactly the White House's definition of a recession? Again, we don't we don't def I'm not going to define it from here. <laughs> We're not going to define a recession. We're not going to acknowledge it's even happening. And so they're not. And no one's forcing them to. That's what they're saying. This is untenable. Unless you're an utterly partisan economist, you have to acknowledge what's happening. But the most highly credentialed are not acknowledging it. They're blaming Putin. They're blaming January 6th. And of course, on the basic point of whether the economy is in trouble... There are very few people left to deny it. The threat of an economic downturn is shaking up consumers and small business owners. A recent survey taken by Goldman Sachs found 93%, 93% of small businesses fear a recession. I think there's a very high likelihood of recession when we've been in this kind of situation before. Recession has essentially always followed. We did, in fact, end up with what is clearly an overheated economy. And the effect of that overheating on inflation was bigger than his past experience would have led us to believe. I think there are many reasons why we're going to have a severe recession and a severe debt and financial crisis. Debt ratios are at historically high. So if Larry Summers, who literally blamed the insurrectionists on January 6th for inflation, and Paul Krugman, who's been wrong about everything, who humiliates himself weekly in the New York Times, if they're admitting that actually the economy is in trouble, then there's really no denying it. You can't deny it. We've reached the limit of denial. Take a look at this chart. Notice that right before the 2008 recession, the consumer price index was surging, just as it is now. Prices went up until they crashed. Now, they always crash. Why does that happen? Well, it happens for a simple reason. Goods become too expensive for people to buy, and then GDP collapses. The IMF is sending out warning signals as well. They now predict a global recession as soon as next year. What happens then? We're going to spend the next hour looking into it. We're going to start with someone who knows a lot about how to talk about economics. Dana Prino, co-host of America's Newsroom, co-host of The Five. She was what is press secretary during the last recession. Yeah. So she's seen it. <laughs> for no, no, we're not going to listen to what Dana Perino has to say, I, I mean, I have almost no interest in what politicians in general have to say and uh, no interest in what publicists have to say. Okay, publicists are, are paid liars. Whether they're paid liars for Republicans or Democrats, it just doesn't matter that much to me.
I'm going to talk about cocaine as the white man's drug. And telling me that like what I was doing was putting him and his loved ones in grave danger because of all the political enemies that he has out there, the ADL and all these political enemies that want to hurt him and his family. And me saying that he had uh, snuck off into a bathroom to do cocaine at 11 o'clock in the morning. Like, was, like, that was at 11 a.m. That was during the day. It was, it was oh, during the day. We, we went and ate lunch. We went and ate lunch afterwards. And he was like day drinking already as well on top of he was, I don't know. We had been drinking We had been drinking the night before at, at the party. And then the next morning, we took all the kids. It was like 10, 30, 11 o'clock when we got to the roller rink. And uh, they had you know, made a couple trips to the bathroom. But anyways, that's me saying that was putting him in uh, a position for the FBI to do something very mean to Eric Stryker. Like, that, By saying he does cocaine. Yes. Dude, everybody knows he does cocaine. There was one, there was one strike in mic. Somebody sent me a clip where you can hear him going. <laughs> like you can hear him doing the nose thing. Like more than one occasion. And there was one where like I guess he had to – Mike was like, uh, Stryker will be right back. He's got to answer his door or something you know like that. You what's funny? There was a – I just want to say real quickly. There was a Nazi in Colombia called Carlos Leder that um, would actually do that. He would take lines of coke while he's recording his like propaganda on his little island. That's funny. <laughs> I mean, no. Um, I mean, you know, <laughs> but that was the whole thing with these guys. Yeah. Oh, it's Aryan drugs. You know, it's Aryan drug of choice. It's the white man's drug. It's the white man's drug. It's the white man's well, drug. It's the white man's drug until the guy you did cocaine with gets kicked out of his pool party for two in cocaine and you don't stick up for him. Mm. You're, uh, did you hear that part of the kill stream that I talked about? Um, I must have missed it, but there no, was a, please, please there was, us. There was a mania in California, and a group of people went outside. I was one of them. I didn't know where we were going. We went outside. They're like, Johnny, come with us. Oh, okay, cool. Because I'm, you know, Johnny, I'm the cool guy, right? I like, you know, everybody likes Johnny. I go outside, and we get in this car. There's a bag of Coke being passed around the front seat. I'm like, oh, okay. And the guy who did it handed it to Mike. Mike did it. Made a little thing about talking about it being Aryan. And then right. passed it around. And then a few months later, the guy whose car we were all sitting in gets kicked out of his pool party, his TRS pool party, for guess what? Cocaine. <laughs> and Mike, who had sat in that man's car and done cocaine with him just a few months earlier, was like, oh, that sucks. So, yeah, there's a lot of – so it's like special privileges for the higher-ups and just very little loyalty. It's like these people will uh, put their livelihood on the lines for these leaders, and it's just like, well, that sucks. Get me a little pizza. Get me a little Caesars. Come on. Oh, uh, dude, when they uh, – when when Cantwell got arrested and Mike was like, whoa, at least it isn't us. <laughs> and I'm like, literally. I'm like, dude, he's going to fucking prison, dude. Like, like that's shitty. I mean, um, people have done dumb shit like Seiko. Holy shit. Like the war room guy, he did a bunch of dumb shit. Granted, he has, he has atoned for his stuff and he has gotten his family back together and is on a complete 180 from what he was doing when he was, you know, with the alt-right, but hanging out with I'm these guys. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. But it doesn't take away from the fact for the things that he did do, you know, I mean, dude, it's, I don't know. You want to, can you edit that out or is that, I don't know his name. Um, or is it too bad? It's kind of too bad, honestly. Okay, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> but it's like, hey, I mean, you're being nice to him. Like, you're just saying, like, he turned his yeah. life around. Like, we're not he's even putting details on there. I'm not really interested in Seiko, to be quite honest. No, but it's but like, I, yeah, I, Seiko, I mean, let's be honest. Anyone that knew anything about the war room knew that Seiko was fucking doing retarded shit 24 7. Like, it didn't take a genius to figure well, out. When I was, the reason why I brought Nothing that you're up. saying is like, uh, life change or is like, uh, revelatory, you know? Everybody no, knew no, that. Well, so, the reason I bring that up is because these are the kind of people that TRS kept around forever and ever. You know, mm-hmm. is that's the kind of stuff they kept. They would they would encourage almost encourage that kind of stuff. They had the alt right rises where <clears throat> Jo would go on there and tell stories about shooting Africans in Africa. And he probably made up. Well, he made up all those stories. Dude. Those are all. Because I remember Larry Ridgway did that drunken high stream where he's just like, yeah. He wasn't. He didn't do anything. Well, that's the thing is, I think that Larry. That's what was the final straw with that was Larry found out that the Jo thing wasn't real, and Jo had lived with Larry as a roommate for like right. Yeah, they were roommates. Right, they're like bestest buddies, and like um. And that really hurt Larry's feelings. And so he got super mad. He even threw me under the bus. He got mad at me. He's like, Johnny hasn't had an original thought in his entire life. He's, he just repeats what other people say. And I got a full apology from Larry later on. And what I found funny is that all the shit he said about TRS and on Mike and everybody sucks and Alex sucks and Jesse sucks and they all suck. Yeah, he came crawling back like a dog and, eating vomit. Yeah, he came back and he's back on the network again. I guarantee you that won't happen with paranormal. But, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think you're going to beg them to come back on. I would never, I, 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 I have absolutely so. no, <laughs> there's nothing they could say or do or ever to make me ever want to be associated with any of those, those 
godless heathen atheists. I mean, like, there's one thing, like, William Luther Pierce was agnostic. Um, George Lincoln Rockwell was not religious, is, is what they say. Uh, but both of them knew. I mean, he called he, himself agnostic. What, was, it, was it he? The, okay, it was the other way around. Anyways. Um, and then William Pierce treated that cosmotheism or whatever. I mean, right. Like, like neither, of them, neither of them were overly religious. And, but they both knew that they needed the white Christian. Well, if the goal is mass appeal to white Americans. Right. Like, they knew Wow, truly disappointing that the TRS crowd is into cocaine. I, I had such uh, higher higher expectations. I'm I'm disappointed. I mean, it really is this is this the way to save the the white race? So interesting article in the New York Times. It kind of follows up on something that uh, I've been talking about, and that is how streaming stars pay the price of online fame. Right. So I'm struck. Yesterday, I was talking about a new Netflix documentary about uh, the the most hated man on the internet, right? This guy was uh, posting revenge porn. She had, like, lots of layers of panic. And uh, this girl... Like, oh, my God, this is going to destroy everything. It's going to destroy my life. And then it uh, ends up She told me not to tell internet. Charles. She was so embarrassed about it. All right, so I got a, I got a tip. Uh, don't act like a whore, right? Don't take photos of yourself naked, all right? Posing naked is something whores do. Don't videotape yourself having sex. All right. Don't try to sell photos or videos of yourself naked. All right. Don't try to make money from your sex appeal. And you will be much less likely to be treated like a whore. This is Kayla. She gives you a lot of pain as a mom to feel your child in pain. And I had to get that picture down as quickly as possible. So a good way to avoid that kind of pain is don't pose naked and see what you can do to raise your kids to not pose naked. And then you'll be much less likely to experience this kind of pain. Right, the most hated man on the internet. The type of person that I know my mom is is that she won't just sit on her hands. I think right in that moment, she got to work. Okay. I got off the phone Two with Kayla. Later, I went to my computer. I typed in isanyoneup.com and the website came up. So I started scrolling through. And found my daughter and found her photos. There were some closed pictures and one topless picture as well that were posted next to her name. It was a jolt. It was kind of shocking. And I felt like it just needs to be removed immediately. Like, you know, two seconds is too long for it to be there any longer. Okay, so it's really easy to get outraged when other people take notice and publicize stupid things that you've done. All right. And so, oh, man, they're to blame. But I mean, do you see me like doing doing a show in this mankini? No, I am saving this mankini for like my wedding night. All right. On my wedding night, I'm going to show a very lucky lady what I look like wearing a mankini and a yarmulke and a smile. And that's it. But am I out there like whoring for viewers and like firing up my only fans, you know, try to monetize, you know, the, the amazing, you know, image of what I look like in a mankini. No, I, I don't do that. All right. I, I'm not here acting like a whore. 
right? This is a very sober, high IQ, very moral show because I'm a very respectable man. So I just keep the mankini for that special occasion on my wedding night. And until then, no one else gets to see me in a mankini. I mean, even if you were to throw down a $500 super chat right now, you would not get to see me in this mankini because I have moral standards. I'm a very respectable man. Like, people look up to me. Like, I've been no fap for, for nine years. So I'm not going to throw on the mankini. And, and I'm not going to monetize 40 in the mankini. I started scrolling through the rest of the website and seeing other women's pictures. And it was just everything you can imagine. It was from very young up to 70-year-old women. It was people who were 300 pounds. It was people who were incapacitated. You know, a blind paraplegic was on there. Under the photos, people were allowed to leave comments. They'd be called whores, fat cows, creature with nasty teeth, slut, you know, just hate film. Well, a good way to avoid that is don't get yourself photographed in ridiculous positions like this mankini in most situations is not going to be flattering all right this mankini could be totally taken out of context all right if i were to image myself wearing this mankini it would it would bring about a profound you know, a profound reaction of, of revulsion and horror and disbelief that would you know, severely drive down my social capital so I just keep my mankini in my marriage night drawer, right? With with other implements that I, I won't get into, you know, other special goodies for, for my marriage night. And I'm, you know, putting it away for, for my marriage night. But until then, you're not going to get to see me in, in a mankini, right? Because I'm a man of tremendous dignity. I'm a very respectable man. Build comments. It was very clear that site was about humiliating people as much as possible. Oh, that site is about humiliating people as much as possible. Or, or it's not the website. All right? We all have the possibility of humiliating ourselves. I have lived for years with this mankini in, in my marriage night cupboard drawer, and I haven't humiliated myself with it. All right? I've been a very respectable man. I just saved this for that special occasion for, for when I get married. So if your daughter takes photos of herself nude, she's humiliating herself and she is opening the door for this disaster that happened to it. Now, I think that the people who did this are horrible, right? I think revenge porn is horrible. I think people monetizing revenge porn are horrible. I, oh, I don't believe you should be out there ruining other people's lives. But, hey, responsibility begins at home, right? First of all, ask, you know, what role do I play in, in my own misfortunes? And so there's an article here on Twitch. Right? It's in the New York Times. So you know that it's going to be fair and balanced. Right? Here we go. It's a good article, How Streaming Stars Pay the Price of Online Fame. Well, guess what? Uh, maybe you are a lawyer. You pay the price for being a lawyer. You had to study hard, right? You've had to take on revolting clients. You've had to deal with difficult clients. You've had to work extraordinary long hours. You've had to work hard. You've had to give your job your undivided attention. 
being a lawyer comes with a price. Let's say you're a football player. You love playing football. Playing football comes with a huge price. It does tremendous damage to your body. Uh, playing soccer comes with a big price, not just blowing out a knee, but heading the ball, all right, is not good for you, all right? You're dumber after you head a soccer ball than before you head a soccer ball. Everything comes with a, a huge price. If you're an accountant, that comes with a huge price. If you're a porn star, if you're a politician, that comes with a price. So if you want fame, particularly from manipulating men at their most vulnerable, all right, their, their, their sexual impulses to have sex with as many women as possible, that's going to come with a big price. So when you look up this particular woman online, well, this is how she presents herself. Stars on Twitch, the video game streaming platform, invite viewers into their homes virtually. What happens when one shows up in person? So some unwanted visitor rapped on her front door, and so she had to call the police. Now, this woman names Caitlin Siragusa. She's got 5 million followers on Twitch. She's 28 years old. She says she has natural C-cup breasts. Right? She's got an OnlyFans account where she's making over $100,000 a month with her own pornographic material. And uh, she says that this incident was terrifying, but it wasn't the first time she had to deal with what's increasingly going hand-in-hand hand with being a high-profile streamer on Twitch, harassment and stalking. Well, what role did she play in her own misfortune? This isn't a matter of blame. This is just a matter of looking at cause and effect. All right, she is wearing a push-up bra. She's accentuating her breasts. She's commodifying her sexuality. You go to Google, and this is what you find, all right? This is the message that she's putting out to the world. This is who I am, all right? She is going after men, and she is monetizing their lust for her, and... 99.999% of men are just going to be incredibly sexually frustrated with regard to this woman because they're never going to get to have sex with her. So what happens when you wind men up or you wind people up at their most vulnerable point and drive them crazy, right? A lot of bad things happen. And there are other women in this article who complain about harassment and stalking. Okay, one's named Brooke A.B., all right? Again, beautiful woman. If she wasn't she beautiful, she wouldn't have, you know, one one thousandth of the following that she does. So she commodifies her looks and her sex appeal to build a career as a live streamer. And it comes with downsides just like every profession. If she were a secretary, all right, that would come with downsides. She'd be hit on by the boss or coworkers or, or customers or, or clients. She wouldn't find the work terribly interesting in all likelihood. Right? There's another character. In this story, uh, Dizzy Kitten, right? So she commodifies that she looks like a 12-year-old, 13-year-old. And that's the sex appeal that she puts out into the world. And most of the people who are most affected by this turn out not to be the sword of the earth. Another character in this story is Sweet Anita. All right? Sweet Anita it looks very sweet indeed. She's commodifying her sex appeal, and that brings with it some unfortunate results, right? Or make her cry. Sweet Anita is in trouble with a situation that you would expect to find in a horror movie. It's a dangerous situation, and it pisses me off royally. She's actually slept outside of her house, has followed her around the night, has chased her. Why? Why? It's just really disturbing to know that people out there are, are like this, and the UK police aren't doing anything about it. 
This is disgusting treatment by the police, in my opinion. Clearly, this chick is still being targeted. He's literally threatening her in her own Twitch chat now. So yeah, just like going through these tweets, just terrifying. It's getting so bad last night where she tweeted out and said, hey, if something bad happens to me, please, you know, let, I mean, this is insane. Unreal. And something needs to change like yesterday. Something Hi, needs to change. I'm Sudanita, and a lot of people have been asking a lot of details about my stalker. This has been going on since October last year or so. I've been assaulted, I've been chased, and people have had to restrain my stalker out in public as he wouldn't leave me alone. And throughout all of this, I had planned to make a video just covering my situation, but in doing all of the research I possibly could, in trying to find solutions and an end to this absolute nightmare, I found that so many other people are going through the same. It's a terrifying situation to be in. Okay, so notice how the video talks about something has to change, but none of the focus is on, oh, is there something that I need to do to change? So traditionally, young women, beautiful young women have gotten married and they have had a husband who protects them and looks after their safety and their well-being. And traditionally, they are also part of a community that helps to look after their safety and their well-being. Now, these things come with a price. You can't just whore yourself out online and just do anything you want online and uh, get this kind of protection, right? Everything comes with a price. Being a live streamer comes with a price. Being part of a community comes with a, with a big price. He killed her in his car and posted pictures of it all over the internet. And within hours, someone was already selling t-shirts with those pictures on. But her family have been trying to remove the pictures from the internet since her death over a year ago, and it's proven impossible. And now, not only have they lost her, but Bianca's never going to have her dignity and privacy, um, even in death, because those pictures are up. You know, it's... So obviously that's horrible, and it's part of the dangers of being a famous person, in particular being a famous, attractive young woman, right? There's tremendous power that comes with being an attractive young woman, but with that power comes a tremendous price, right? There are no tremendous rewards without tremendous prices. Tragic. It's an absolutely tragic loss of life. And it could be avoided if we had more safety things in place, if we had more things. Oh, if we had more safety things in place outside of me, right? It could also be avoided if you stop live streaming, if you stop live streaming in a particularly, you know, suggestive come hither way, if you say focused your live streams on the meaning of Shakespeare if you focus your live streams on uh, modest clothing, all right? How to be a, or made your whole focus on how to be a modest person in a secular and secularized world, right? You would attract a, a very different audience, a much smaller audience, but uh, one much less likely to try to harm Things you. in place to protect those who provide content online. Gwyneth Paltrow was pursued for 17 years by an absolutely insane stalker. She was fearing for her. Okay, so Gwyneth Paltrow, you know, chose to show her breasts in a movie. And th there's, a, there's a price to pay for that. I'm not saying that therefore the stalker is, is moral. 
but there's a price to pay for fame and there's a price for pay for commodifying your body right she's had tremendous rewards gwyneth paltrow but with these tremendous rewards come tremendous prices her life and fearing for her children's lives and she went to court with an abundance of evidence of persistent harassment and still didn't secure a conviction and it's terrifying to think of cases like mayu tomita who is in japan and she was she reported her stalker a month before he stabbed her 60 times. Viewers are able to find us very easily and it's terrifying. Then maybe you shouldn't do this, all right? Maybe you should get married, right? Maybe you should become a secretary or a paralegal or an attorney, right? Every way of earning a living comes with tremendous downsides, including live streaming that there's nothing we can do and that even when we warn the police that there's nothing you can do there are a million things that you can do we all have the ability to influence how other people treat us she's saying there's nothing i can do that uh, doesn't interfere with what i want to do right that's what these these women are really saying there's nothing i can do means there's nothing i can do that uh, is takes away from everything that i want to do that something bad might happen to us, they still do nothing until it's too late. One of the things that I find... They, 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 they still do nothing. Well, what are you doing, all right? If, if you're attracting a creepy audience, maybe you should stop. Maybe you should quit. Maybe you should do something else. Bloggers don't have this problem. Academics, by and large, don't have this problem. Uh, scholars of Shakespeare don't have this problem. Priests, ministers, and rabbis don't have this problem. Right? Doctors, lawyers, dentists, accountants don't have this problem. Right? So there are all sorts of other ways of making a living that don't come with this price. So if you want the rewards of what you're doing, then it comes with a lot of dangers and things that are awkward and awful. So maybe you should stop. Really challenging about all of this and speaking up about it too, is that so many people want to blame me. They say, if you learn martial arts, if you move house, if you- It's not about blaming you, it's simply pointing out the nature of reality, that if you want rewards, you have to be willing to pay the price. Get a dog, if you get a gun, then everything will be okay and you will be safer. But I don't think it's the answer. In countries where- Right, so the answer is I should get to do everything that I want to do. I should get to flaunt my sex appeal. I should get to prey on the most vulnerable part of men, their, their desperate yearning to, you know, connect deeply with a woman, to have, you know, sexual relations with, with a beautiful young woman, to have a relationship with a beautiful young woman. I get to prey on this most vulnerable part of men. And by so doing, I may well be destabilizing people. Right. How many men have gone broke? All right. Uh, you know, throwing money after women. Right. So you want to prey on male vulnerability, but you don't want to pay any price for what you're doing. Right? You don't want to stop from doing anything that you want to do. You want all the solutions coming from outside of you. You want everyone else to make it easy for you to do what you want to do without having to pay the prizes that always come with doing what you do. This is the Netflix documentary, The Most Hated Man on the Internet. Who would create a website like this? 
Hunter. But he was plastered all over the site. Hunter Moore. It was very clear that the man who owned that website and ran that site was Hunter Moore. Hey, cut it out with the music, man. I'm trying to run a very respectful show here. Come on. Hunter Moore. He went to prison eventually for two years. This was not someone hiding in the shadows. This was not someone who wanted to be anonymous. This was someone who was enjoying being internet famous is what I guess people call it. Why are you in love with me? Because you're hard to guess. So fame, like hitting a soccer ball, has a price. Right? Being, being an Orthodox Jew, living in an Orthodox Jewish community comes with considerable restrictions. All right? Everything has a price. So let's, uh, let's go through this New York Times article here on uh, the, the price of being a star on Twitch. What happens when people show up? All right? So the ability of streamers like Ms. Siragusa to attract an audience is the lifeblood of Twitch. Amazon paid almost a billion dollars in 2014 to acquire the company. It's an intimate platform. All right, so the platform that you stream on has an effect on how people relate to you, the topics that you cover, the content of your stream, how you conduct yourself in the stream has an effect on how people deal with you. So in live streams, they see into your home, they see into your bedroom, they feel like they know you. So it's not really parasocial relationship because that is just one way where the audience reads a relationship into something that's not there. Like we have a genuine relationship between me and, and many of uh, you right now. Like I, I've met some of you in person. I've talked to others of you on the phone or in chat. So this is like a cyber relationship that sometimes is a, a real life relationship. It's not just a a power relationship, but the type of relationships that you form with people online, right? That's going to have a profound effect on how people then treat you. So one of the prices of having 5 million followers on Twitter is unwanted attention, right? The, the, the live streamer, the content creator sells his soul, the blogger, all right? The commercially viable blogger content producer sells his soul. He, he sells parts of his soul each day. He commodifies his life and his insights and his thinking in exchange for your attention, possibly your affection, possibly your money. If you don't like that price, then you know don't play play the game, right? So bloggers, by and large, don't have the same problems of live streamers with regard to stalkers, right? Because they're appealing to a different part of people and to a different audience. So. If you don't like the attention you're getting from live streaming, change the content, the presentation of your live streaming, or maybe switch to blogging, or maybe choose a, a different type of life. So this one woman here that you're seeing in the picture, she says, I don't know what else to do at this point besides build a moat with crocodiles. Well, she could change the way she presents herself. She could change how often, how intensely, and for how long she live streams. Right. She could change how she dresses. She could change what she talks about in the content of her shows. She could choose to get married and give up live streaming. Right? Traditionally, women marry young, 
They get protected by a husband. They get protected by his in-laws. They get protected by a community. And they get protected by society. But this comes at a price. It's in exchange for conducting yourself modestly. Because when you conduct yourself modestly, you're much less likely to cause social disruption, including stalkers. Right? You don't get any sense from this article that any of these women are married or belong to traditional communities. Now, life in a traditional community is challenging. You have to constantly subordinate what you want to do for the sake of the community's health. But if you pay the price of community, you get to reap the rewards, which include increased protection. Now, the less modest the woman or man, the less safe she's going to be. Modesty isn't just how you dress. Right? Modesty is how you conduct yourself. The more you flaunt it, the more you put yourself at risk right? More flaunting, more risk, right? So many of the women in this story have a business model, right, of preying on men's vulnerability, right? They want to profit from the frustration and disruption that this causes, but not pay any cost, right? So if you want to stop being treated like a whore, don't act like a whore. Like decent men usually don't want to marry whores or hang out with whores. The more you whore yourself out online, less likely it is that decent people will include you in their life, which means your social circle will increasingly be composed of the, the dangerous and dysfunctional. So men are kind of evolved to hunt down women who put out a message that they are sexually available. That's why traditional societies want men and women to tone things down, stop flaunting things, comport themselves in a way that is not going to disrupt the community and disrupt families. So if you're tired of attracting bad people, don't be a whore. Don't take no naked photos of yourself. Don't videotape yourself having sex. Don't appeal to people's worst instincts to get attention. Don't prey on people's vulnerabilities. Back to this Netflix documentary on the most dangerous man on the internet. Did you come here tonight to find your significant other? Hell no. Did you come to have a one night stand? Yes. <laughs> this is Hunter Moore from isanyoneup.com. Fucking all your girlfriends. You know, I felt like I needed to find out who this guy was and how he could feel comfortable harming people in this way. Okay, so San Francisco, California is where uh, Hunter Moore gets a girlfriend in this story. And she's a deeply I'm troubled girl. Hughes, right? And I was troubled Hunter people Moore's girlfriend. Attract troubled people, right? Healthy people don't form relationships uh, with troubled people. I was 18 people. years old when I moved to San Francisco for fashion design. I had one friend who wanted to bring me out, celebrate to a party that Hunter Moore was throwing. As we were leaving, Hunter grabbed me by the shoulder and said, you don't want to go out there. It was such like a paused moment in time. Right, so if you don't go to those kind of parties and if you don't respond to men who act this way, you're not going to get into this kind of trouble, right? When you go out on the town, very few good things happen after midnight. And if you don't want to have the, many of the negative complications that come with supporting or being a part of the Right Stuff podcast, then avoid yeah, this right, crowd. They, 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 they couldn't go out there and be like, kike on a stick, your stupid Jew religion. Like, but this is what TRS does actively, like shits on Christianity hard. I mean, I honestly appreciate the honesty a little bit. I mean, like, it would have been easier for them to just pretend that they're allies with Christians and then just be yeah. disingenuous about it the no, whole time. Wait, but it's much happening, though, because I remember true. they weren't always like it. Like, could you explain a little bit? Well, Alex Alex has gone further and further and further into being an atheist and to even doing, like, satanic-type rituals over, like, an altar for his mother. Or, at Halloween. Yeah, he does. He 
Yeah. That's weird. Really weird, man. Mm-hmm. And like that's sort of the thing. Like you want to unite white Christians with like people yeah. doing satanic shit. Yeah, that's not how it works. Because, like we're just, you know, because everyone's white and that's going to be the unifying well, they like, they they just just recently, There was an episode of Fascination recently that just came out where they said that basically if Christians want to come along in the movement, they can sit down and shut the fuck up. They can come okay. along, but they have to sit down and shut the fuck up. Interesting. I mean, yeah, if you're a Christian at that point and you're being involved in with that, you know, those sorts of circles, like, There's, I don't know what to tell you, man. Like, you are, they openly have contempt for you. Yeah, open <laughs> hatred. It's not contempt. It's more than contempt. It's hatred. They and, like, I, I have contempt, too, a little bit, because, like, I don't think you can be, you can have the mindset that Mike Enoch and Jesse have and, like, be, like, a genuine, at least Catholic. Yeah, but you can't. You cannot. Absolutely cannot. <clears throat> it's just not tolerated. You can't mm. do that. And then the bug nattery, of course, there's that, too. Like, bug nattery. Yes, bug nats. Everything, everything happens exactly the way the mainstream media says, except for the Holocaust. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. I remember Richard Spencer would do this sort of thing, like he was notorious for it, where like he would just start to justify anything that I guess the state does in the US as like, well, this is actually eugenic and here's how. It's like, it, oh, and it's like, it comes off as like very complex cults for me, at least to me. It's ext- yeah, well, that's really what it is. But um, I wanted to say here, so just to stay a little bit on point regarding the history here. So there was a huge civil war over, you know, Republican infiltration. Like a lot of these people had this idea that um, they need like join the Republican Party, uh, vote Republican. And then like, you know, if they get, you know, insert themselves into the, I guess, political party machine mechanisms, that this would be the way to go about uh, actually getting people with lots of money to fund their cause. Obviously, it didn't end up happening. And then the Republicans got swept in the midterms. And I remember specifically that after the Republicans got swept in the midterms, TRS basically tried to like pretend they never shilled for the Republican Party. Oh, my God. And then they kind of transitioned for a little while into autistically making episodes on like Holocaust revisionism and Star Trek 24-7. Yes. yes. And it's like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> was, dude, the show stopped being good. A lot. The show stopped being good once they started uh, having to get paid for it. And they, they, they were uh, requiring, um, you know, paywall subscriptions to, to survive. But um, fascinating. But in theory, they could have actually done more research and made more content that was informative have, with that extra opportunity. But yeah, like, they instead, have. they take on the characteristics of what they call niggers, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they, and it's like laziness. And then they're given money to just do nothing. And then you do you use that precious money to just sit around and eat pizza with ranch, you know, from and, and buy and buy. A literal professional recording studio in his basement now, and like thirty thousand dollars worth of the same guitar. Damn. He bought. He likes this one certain Jackson King V, and he bought like twelve of them. Damn. And as long as he plays one note on one song that he uses on the show, that gets written off. Oh, he's very. He's very Anglo. Where uh, he's like. He's like uh, spiritually Jewish, Jesse. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, mean, but I don't know. He seems to be like the living in this synagogue and all this other stuff, and not being in the SPLC and not being this and that. Like it seems maybe I don't know. Vacationing at the Jersey Shore every year with the family. It just that's very Jewy things to do too. Maybe he's a Jewish one. You know, who knows? It's it's hard to tell, man. I mean, a lot of, because there's no crypto nowadays. A lot of old um, wasps are culturally like almost. Yeah, so much of this uh, Johnny Monoxide interview is essentially accusing him of of TRS of being Jewish. All right, so here is interview with the live streamer who is the focus of attention in this new york times tell me about what that person was like the person who did those kinds of things can you tell me i guess that kind of thing it wasn't so much that like i was different in the way i thought about things but just like i felt like i was more happy but i think some of that comes to do with like the whole um spontaneous nature of that job right every party was different and i noticed that with streaming every day even though you might be doing different things on stream the routine is mostly the same okay and I feel like that's hard for me because I do have ADD, you know? And so it feels like that's like almost like emotionally, like life sucking, you know? But at the same time, I also have like a huge goal that I want to achieve. And I know that social media is like the best way to get there, like monetarily, you know? And it's also like, I feel really lucky to have social media because so many people want to have a platform mm-hmm. and they don't ever get it. So part of me feels like um, I need to be able to take advantage of the opportunity while I have it because who knows how long it's going to last, you know? Yeah. So I'm hearing like you kind of being stuck or pulled in a lot of different directions. 
on the one hand, you have goals. On the other hand, you're grateful and lucky to have the opportunities that you have. And on at the same time, I'm sort of noticing that like taking advantage of those opportunities and being grateful for what you've been given also comes at like a significant personal cost. Yeah. That's really tough. I mean, how do you, yeah, I, I mean, it sounds, because it, I'm, I'm sort of hearing you give a piece of yourself like every single day when you do something that's a little bit more grindy and maybe you don't feel like it, but you recognize like this is an amazing opportunity. So you sort of like want to mm -hmm. do it and, and you do want to do it, but it just, it seems, it sounds like it's hard to do. Yeah. What makes it hard? I guess like for me, um, I don't take breaks. That's probably what makes it hard. Because I think for the past four years, it's been like stream, 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 stream. Like, like not just like two hours a day, but like anywhere from, I guess, eight to 15 hours a day of stream. Yeah. And I don't take vacations or days off because I'm like, oh no, the momentum. I would lose all the momentum I've been working towards. Because like in the streaming, what I've noticed is like to build something like sub number, for example, is the easiest to measure just by the numbers. It can take months to build a few thousand extra subs. But then if you disappear for a week, you can lose them like that. You know, so it's like a very like high cost type of job for if you take time off. Mm. Yeah, that's hard. So it, it sounds like you have to, every day off is like taking away something you've built. Right. Do you feel trapped, Kate? A little bit. Because I didn't like, I guess for me, it's like I started streaming about four years ago. So this has been most of my like young adult life. Right. And it's like, if you don't do stream, it's like you can't. Uh, there's really no other job that I can think about that would have like the same uh, freedom of getting to do what I want and also the same level of financial support that it brings towards sure. like just living plus what I want to achieve later. And and can you, do you mind sharing what you want? You mentioned that once or twice. What do you want to achieve later? Um, I want to open a animal rescue ranch eventually, like no kill. Right. So, so many of these uh, successful young women or middle-aged women and older women, they're really into animal rescue. So that natural feminine instinct to nurture, right, which traditionally goes to building a family, taking care of a husband, looking after children, it gets warped. So the most natural desire in the world is to want to be loved. But when you don't know how to love and be loved by people, then you'll go for the next closest thing, which may feel like, you know, attention whoring. Okay, I don't know how to love. I don't know how to accept love. Let me just chase after attention. I want to nurture, but I don't want the responsibilities that come with motherhood and being married. So let me devote myself to animal rescue. So out of all the e-girls in the dissident right, I think uh, Lauren Southern has constantly been, been the most sane and the most impressive of them all. But e even with a Lauren Southern, she wouldn't have one five hundredth of the following if she wasn't beautiful. And then the price of having a huge following because you're beautiful is that you don't attract the, the best in people. I trialed for the same in Germany and lost this case. That's all I remember about him. I don't know the details. Uh, so let's continue. So Rebel News, well, Rebel News reacting to basically a, an illuminated, naive, young journalist. It's too bad. It's heartbreaking because I understand as relevant. He has to fire her. She, she has put in writing basically that he's dishonest. She's a risk. She's a... She's potential damage for the company. But at the same time, uh, we have to find... Right, so there's something like balance theory. Essentially, the more you and I have in common, the better we're going to get along. If we, for example, disagree about our favorite football team, 
that puts a strain on the relationship. If we disagree about whether or not I should subscribe to the New York Times, that's going to put a strain on the relationship. It's not going to necessarily kill it. But the less we have in common, the more precarious our relationship. So even disagreeing about your favorite song, your favorite food, all right, uh, the direction of the, the group that you're in, the direction of the political party that you both belong to, the direction of your synagogue or your church, if you disagree on some something to do with theology or with religious practice, if you disagree on some philosophical matter or literary matter or economic matter, the more you disagree, the more precarious your relationship. So a lot of relationships like sail along just fine for years and then a fallout, a disagreement over the seemingly the most minor things can end a relationship. So the more you're balanced with someone else, the more you have in common with someone else, the more solid the relationship. But as soon as you start falling out of balance with someone, right, as soon as you have increasing disagreement, whether it's on music, food, politics, religion, culture, philosophy, literary works, whether or not I should subscribe to the New York Times, every little bit of disagreement is putting pressure on the relationship, not just pressure, it's tearing away the foundation of a relationship. So let's say you strongly believe I should not be subscribing to the New York Times, and I strongly believe that I should be, that's tearing away a foundation of our relationship. Let's say you strongly believe I should not be subscribing to YouTube TV, and I strongly believe I should be, that's tearing away another foundation of the relationship. Let's say you strongly believe that I should not be practicing Orthodox Judaism, right? That's tearing away another foundation of the relationship. Let's say you strongly believe that I should be practicing a different form of Orthodox Judaism than what I'm currently practicing. That is tearing away a foundation of the relationship. Let's say we disagree about who should be the Republican nominee for the Republican Party for president in 2024. That tears away another foundation of the relationship. So the more we disagree, right? The more tenuous the relationship. And so when disagreements over the most trivial things pop up in a relationship, in a marriage, in a friendship, in a work relationship, all right, each disagreement tears away at the foundation of that relationship and has therefore the possibility of completely blowing up the relationship. Now, you might think, oh, you know, I'm a wise, mature man. A, a disagreement over subscribing to the New York Times is never going to cost me a friendship, but it absolutely can. It can absolutely blow things up. The most trivial things, arguing about who's the, the greatest quarterback, is it currently is, is the greatest quarterback uh, Patrick Mahomes or is it uh, Tom Brady? All right, you get into it with your friend over something like that, and it can, it will Right? If you have a strong disagreement, it will tear away a part of the foundation of your relationship. Find a way for the system, whatever it is, whether we're talking employment, intellectualism, education on the internet, we have to find a way so that the naivety of Lauren back then is rewarded rather than punished. And that's a beautiful thing that comes out of this video. But even Lauren isn't quite... <clears throat> isn't quite... Uh, cognizant of this because our conclusions is oh i'm going to withdraw a little bit from the dissident right because they yeah that, that's a good point here by jf when you start to withdraw from people right they will usually feel it and that withdrawal that simple act of withdrawal can 
blow up the friendship, the relationship, something that you guys may have put, you know, 15 years into. Now, that doesn't mean you should never withdraw from people, but it will destabilize the relationship. Now, the destabilizing and even the potential loss of the relationship may well be worth it. I mean, I dial people up and I dial people down in my life. I know that when I dial people down in my life, that that can destabilize and destroy the relationship. They're evil. And to, I would tell her, be a little more like a farmer, Lauren. I mean, I'm farming lettuces right now. You find the good seed and you let it grow in your garden. You care for it. You let the good grow. You remove the bad weeds. What Lauren Southern has, is not doing properly is that, yeah, of course, if you, if you go to Israel first, Israel-event uh, rebel news, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get dishonesty over. Okay, so JF is talking about what Lauren Southern is not doing properly. So let's think about the trajectory of JF Garapi's life to the extent that he presents it publicly. I don't know the real JF Garapi. I'm just talking about the public persona that he puts forward and the public persona of what we know about Lauren Southern. So over the past few years, JF Garapi's life has gotten smaller and smaller and narrower and narrower and narrower and narrower, more and more into a cave, right? So used to do these big shows where lots of people would come on and initially live streaming was a way for him to expand his life but then there was a tremendous blowback he got tired of the aggravation of having guests and he moved to you know remote northern canada and he has made his life smaller and smaller and smaller over the past few years uh lauren southern took a break from political activism she got married she had a kid right she seems to be on a really positive direction for her life so Maybe, maybe JF and maybe, maybe me, Luke, you know, maybe we should think about what we can learn from Lauren Southern's example. Maybe step away from critiquing Lauren Southern for just a minute and think about how Lauren Southern's trajectory critiques me and my choices. Right? To, to what extent have I made my life smaller over the past few years? To what extent have I avoided the responsibilities of, of family and marriage and relationship? Right? Maybe. Maybe JF and I have something to learn from Lauren Southern. Very honesty. You're going to get, you come with us to Israel or you're fired. And I wish, instead of seeing this as a negative of the dissident right, I wish that people were intelligent enough to say, I'm going to farm the positive of the dissident right. Because something very magical happened in 2016 to 2020. And although she sees it as a dark part of her life. And, and would you say people should farm the positive of the heroin community? Should people farm the positive of the Antifa community? Should people farm the positive of swimming through sewage? Should people farm the, the positive of, uh, you know, hanging out with, with a bunch of losers? I mean, obviously you can farm the positive out of all those commu communities. You can farm the positive out of the pornography industry, but sometimes you become part of a community that is overall so toxic that the rewards from farming the positive in that community are vastly outweighed by the toxicity of being a part of the community. So sometimes you don't want to farm the positive in a particular community. You just want to get the hell out, which is what Lauren Southern did for a couple of years. And she got married and she had a kid. It seems to have been a pretty good choice. I would hope that she had used this time to draw attention to actual thinkers on the internet. That Am I following the Alex Jones trial? No, I, I'm not. So you may remember when Alex Jones was kicked off of all of social media, unlike every other commentator of which I was aware, I was ambivalent about that. It didn't, it didn't bother me. 
I remember I argued about this with the frame frame game radio. Like he thought it was horrible, and we absolutely had to, you know, be upset and you know raise a ruckus that uh, Alex Jones was banned from from social media. Uh, I wasn't upset by it. I, I didn't endorse it. I didn't support it, but I wasn't upset by it either. Like Alex Jones has said so many irresponsible things, such as denying the reality of the Sandy Hook shooting, that uh, I understood without any effort why a social media platform would not want him on their platform. So I am pretty close to a free speech absolutist. At the same time, I don't believe that my free speech absolutism requires that platforms have to platform everything. All right. So I want society to be close to free speech absolute. I am not going to require that of private companies. We're actually creative, consistent, and intelligent. Because if Lawrence Sutter, oops, I dropped my little pen here that I like to play with, but I actually have a replacement play pen. There it is. <laughs> when I dropped the first, I got a second one. If, if Lawrence Southern had, has, had had the experience of being interviewed, for example, by me, instead of taken in this uh, grifter space, she could have positive souvenirs. Okay, JF, how is what you do or 40, how is what I do, how is it any different from what is called grifting? Right? There's no objective way to distinguish what I do and to distinguish what JF Garupi does from the so-called grifters. All right? Grifters is just an lazy put down that we use for people who get money that we really think better belongs to us. Right? If Lauren Southern had been interviewed by JF Garupi, if Lauren Southern had formed a friendship with JF Garupi, like if uh, Lauren Southern had ridden the JF Garupi train, right? I don't think she'd be better off. Of the dissident right. She could look at it and say, well, there, were some, there was a guy who weren't who wasn't taking cocaine when I was going to the bar with him. There was a guy who didn't try to fuck me because he's already with Mama JF. But she has entertained and she has farmed and cultivated exactly the opposite of this. Because she's stuck with all sorts of stories of blackmail where Tommy Robinson has blackmailed against this guy and this other guy has blackmailed against this guy. This is none of the things that I... So I remember at the LA Press Club in 2007, I met this uh, very attractive but, but troubled woman. I immediately saw she was troubled and immediately saw she was attractive and I basically moved her in with me and it was wonderful because she was beautiful she was smart she was incredibly cuddly she was quickly became quite devoted to me and so initially it was like a honeymoon stage but about two months in this woman became a millstone around my neck right because she'd been in so many feuds and she brought her problems with her all right so when we're emotionally honest, all right, we're not going to be fooled by other people. We don't get to be gaslit by others. To the extent that we insist on living in delusions, then we leave ourselves wide open for exploitation. I've experienced in the dissident right, so-called dissident right. In fact, it's been a pretty open intellectual movement that I've experienced with friendships that are, uh, you know, that have resisted the test of time and the test of smears and the test of everything. I wish that Lauren Southern got to know a little more of this. <clears throat> so JF I was just talking about how his life and his experience is just so much superior to Lauren Southern I don't know how anyone from an objective perspective all right just talking about their their personas as we know publicly not 
like I don't know JF Garapi, I have no inside information on the real person, but his trajectory is an increasingly small life. And Lauren Southern's trajectory is to an adult life of, of marriage and children. It seems to me that they're on different trajectories and it just seems to me most people would regard Lauren Southern as being on a much healthier trajectory than JF or, or myself. So this is not me saying I'm I'm superior to JF Garapi. You know, I'm so much more moral or so much more mature or so much more advanced. No, it, it has nothing to do with me uh, being in any way superior to JF. It's just it's, JF doesn't seem to have any self-awareness that an objective observer looking at his life and Lauren Southern's life over the past four years, uh, most would would probably conclude that Lauren Southern's on a much healthier direction. Mama JF, I will be removing your chats. You have to take it down a notch. Let us not be so dangerous in our speech. <clears throat> okay, so uh, JF Garapi has... You know, has a relationship with with uh, Mama JF, and uh, he has to remove her her chats. They're a little too extreme. And just noticing the the public performance of their relationship. <clears throat> Let us continue. So uh, she meets Milo. She meets Milo, and some of the things we learn about Milo, of course, it's not so much that we learn. I mean, you can see in the way the guy behaves publicly that there's something psychopathic, kind of narcissistic and wrong with the guy. But we learn a little more of the detail, and that's very good. That's a very good aspect of uh, of uh, Milo and all the information that she revealed. So Milo is the classic case of someone finding religion, and so ostensibly, from all outward appearances, he's come to take his Roman Catholic faith very seriously. But given that we don't have any evidence of him trying to make amends for his horrible behavior over the past few years, it seems obviously that he's just using religion as a as a pose as a shield as a performance it's not something that he's actually sacrificing for and from all public appearances it doesn't seem to be something that he's actually inculcating into his own life at a sacrifice to himself it's just one more thing that he uses when you're an addict you will tend to use everybody to meet your addictive needs and i have a long history of doing that I got some relief from that about 10 years ago. And then the past six, six and a half years, I think I've been on a pretty good trajectory. Uh, it just feels like Milo is still in the grip of addictions that cause him to essentially use everybody he can to meet his addictive needs. In this movie. So we see some DMs that Milo has been exchanging. We see a little snaky aspect to him where at some point he, he decides to he decides to be revolted against a guy named uh, Alum Buckery. And apparently Alum Buckery is the guy who wrote the Milo book. So Milo is not intelligent enough to even write his own books. So he has... Milo is intelligent enough to write his own books. He would just rather put his energies elsewhere. As other people write his book. And suddenly, you know, not only do we learn that Milo has never paid the, the copyrights that he, that he owes to this guy. So Milo is having this guy write the book. Then Milo is cashing in on the book and he's not paying back. And so Milo becomes nervous and he calls Lauren Saturn and he's like, and because Lauren Saturn, I don't, I, I don't know if I'm reporting this correctly, but Lauren Saturn somehow uh, fucked with this guy. <laughs> and so they dated Alum Bukhari and Lauren Southern dated when they broke up. Alum uh, threatened to blackmail her and to ruin her life. 
but they eventually got over that and they are good friends today. So she, so Milo asks her for dirt on him because Milo doesn't want to pay him and now he's getting pissed and he's like, I'm so pissed that I could release dirt on you. So Milo tries to do a kind of preemptive Okay, so the chat says, Jim, look, once you reach 50 years of age and you are not married, you become the problem, right? You, your self-centered freedom is just too precious and paramount. It's obviously something wrong with you. If Luke got some property, then I bet the Jewish women would be throwing themselves at him. Luke Ford marries and goodbye YouTube. It's likely that Luke is going to go, men going their own way. Liberty is a driving force. Fairness to nothing fair in love, chaps. Okay, let's uh, go back to checking out uh, this interview with Johnny Monoxide, formerly of TRS. No right, that's the thing. Yeah, the Anglo, the eternal <laughs> Anglo is a thing. Yeah, it's a thing for a reason. Thanks, Cromwell. Yeah, Cromwell, uh, I'm not a fan of that guy in general. Right. But um, um, So back to fascination at the midterms, dude. I've never seen yeah. anybody blow anything. Dude, that was terrible. <laughs> they, well, that's they, the thing. They, when you have the echo chamber and you intensify it, like this, these sorts of things are going to happen. Like oh, yeah. people who are trying to tell you, like, yo, this doesn't seem accurate, like, they get brushed aside and like they're told to fuck off. Go find somewhere else to like hang out with. So I, I like their pre. I yeah. listened to their pre-election show where they went through all the states and all the big elections and stuff. They named off all the people that were going to win. They were like oh for forty, <laughs> and it was so Damn. bad. And it was so bad that I completely like I didn't listen to them all that often. I would when I ran out of other stuff to listen to, and I, that was when I, like it was like maybe once every two or three weeks I would listen to one. Um, I completely stopped listening to them then, and then I, I completely stopped listening to to the show when uh, Jesse had his first major meltdown over the Christchurch shooting where he broke his keyboard on camera. Remember that? I didn't ever see that, no. But uh, could you explain to the audience if they don't So know? the Christchurch shooting happened or, or didn't happen, you know, depending on what side of the, the table you sit on. Um, it makes sense. Right. Obviously and like I was I, like, I had seen a couple things on Facebook. And I'm like, ah, I'm like, I'm at work. I had my own personal, like the Paranormies listeners group, right? I was mm -hmm. like, I'm at work. I haven't had a chance to look at any of this stuff, but this thing smells like it glows in the dark to me. It sounds like a complete fake and gay op. I will be doing I mean, this is just ludicrous. All right, this, this predilection of people on the alt-right like johnny monoxide to believe that, that you know obvious dramatic events like the the mosque shootings in christchurch you know are just uh, some kind of fake gay event all right is absurd but this is what happens when you tumble down a particular insular group's rabbit hole you increasingly lose touch with with reality so kind of curious got to admit What's going on here on uh, Sean Hannity's show? Okay, Sean, take it away. And loss to the GOP in the annual congressional baseball game. The always classy Democratic Congresswoman Linda Sanchez. Well, she just flipped the Republican colleagues a bird in a fit of rage. You can't even make this up. Even worse this week, the professional Democrats on The View heavily suggested that all young conservatives attending Turning Point USA, a conference that they support Nazis. Really, take a look. Neo-Nazis were in the front of turn out there in front of the conference uh, with anti-Semitic um, slurs and, um, you know, the Nazi swastika. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you have to read this thing. Oh. I've got a legal note. Uh, the conservative oh, yes. group. Sonny normally does this, but you I know, yes. I know. Yes. This is our knockoff lawyer. Okay. The conservative <laughs> group, Turning Point USA, has condemned the group of neo Nazis and said they have nothing to do with the organization. Yeah, but where was DeSantis? Is what I want to know. But you let them in. You let them in and you knew what they were. Right. So you are complicit. They didn't let them in. Oh, you. really? You knew who they are? You're complicit. What if somebody protests outside of the View studio? Okay, so 
the chat says, Luke, have you ever wondered what your life would be like now if you return to Christianity rather than convert to Judaism? No, I, I don't. I don't spend uh, much time thinking about what if. I'm, I'm quite happy with uh, my, my conversion to Judaism. I'm sure if I had taken different turns at various points in my life, then uh, my life you know, would have turned out differently in some ways. But I don't spend much time thinking about what if. So, Do you want to live stream about it later tonight? Tune in. That's all I said. Jesse saw that while they were recording the show because they were so excited about it. They were excited about it. This is like, these guys are like, this is what happens when white people are pushed too far. They get weapons and they go down to a mosque and shoot Muslims. When there's too many Muslims are in my country, I go to the mosque and shoot them. That's what I do. That's what white people do when they're pushed too far, right? And they, these are the guys that saw the, the shooting were like, yeah, waste those fucking ragheads. Oh, yeah. Right. That's what they were saying behind the scenes or openly? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They were saying that shit behind the scenes. Like, I know for a fact because, again, I, I was in these tiny little hug box chats. I believe it. And these guys were posting. Do you remember? I don't want to mention a name. I mean, I know you know who he is. He was an Iron March guy. Um, Yeah, I know. He was. I can't. I don't want to say his name because whatever. He was. Cool. Don't say his name. It's fine. He was like super fed posty, and that morning he was just posting. He was making gifts out of the footage because they kept they kept taking the footage down, right? Because mm -hmm. that was part of the psyop. Oh, it keeps getting taken down. That's how you know it's real, right? And that's part of the psyop. Like the internet is all one big fucking op, dude. So, um, he kept making these, and they were just like you know like heart reacting and like giggling, lol, and like you know like in the fucking dude, they were totally loving that, right? Anyway, so I said that I thought it was fake and gay, and he was like, live on the show, was like, Johnny just said he thinks the Christchurch thing, and he hasn't even looked at any of the fucking footage. He's ruining a perfectly good opportunity. This is a moment for us to be like, this is what happens when white people are pushed too far. Do you not see that? And other white people. And then, so they're going to say that, and then Eric Stryker is going to claim that you're the one endangering him with um, getting federal authorities up his ass. Yeah. Okay, so this was my first experience uh, meeting Jewish women. So I went to this Orthodox synagogue in Sacramento for a conversion class. And the rabbi kicked me out because I hadn't pre-registered. He, he didn't get to do a background check on me. So I was with a group of friends and one of them said, hey, I'm not going to leave you alone. You know, let's go visit this uh, kosher, kosher food stand. So we go over this kosher food stand and we start talking to the Persian woman who, who's running it. And uh, she says, ah, are you guys single? And we say, yeah, we're single. We're looking. And, and uh, so we... we we're chatting about that for like 10 seconds and she says I, I need to see your tax returns all right she wanted to see our tax returns before she would uh, set us up with any jewish women yes. am i getting this right yes where's that high Aryan iq they're always talking about because i'm not yeah. seeing it anywhere here he's, he's, in the slightest. he's not the, he's not the smartest <laughs> it appears to me that he's not the brightest candle in the, in the, in the no i don't think this is about jewish women or all about the money i think jews tend to be much more blunt and direct about things that uh, non-Jews will often, you know, dance around. So Jews will feel much more comfortable asking you, oh, do you rent or do you own? They'll feel much more comfortable about asking personal direct questions. I think if you're going to set someone up, asking for a copy of their tax returns is an excellent idea. Right? I think that's, that's good. It's real. Right? Money matters. Whether someone earns an honest living matters. So I think it's primarily... A matter that uh, Jews and Judaism are much more relaxed with the natural passions, right? You should want a husband who provides, right? Most of life's problems can be solved by money. You should want to know the economic prospects of uh, a man uh, be before you date him, right? And, and dating, dating, generally speaking, is for losers, right? It's more, it should be more about mating and matching rather than than dating. So yeah, getting to that real life. How much money do you make? What kind of career trajectory are you on? Is is a good and important thing, and so 
Judaism tends to be much more relaxed about the natural passions. So the passions for, for money, for, for safety, for knowing, you know, for knowing what somebody's really like, you know, knowing somebody's financial situation, uh, the natural passions for sex, for love, for honor, for fame, right? Jews tend to be much more blunt and direct about these things than non-Jews, which as a convert, I quite enjoy. The box of birthday candles. No. But so yeah, he smashed his key. He was so mad about it that he smashed his keyboard during the show because this was an opportunity to push the anti-immigration. Like, why is he smashing it? Like, is someone on the show disagreeing with him or what? No, he's just mad that I, as a representative of TRS, would say that this is a fake event and not use the event to push white nationalist rhetoric. And they were attacking you on that specific episode, and that's yes. why he was smashing it. Yeah, well, he just happened to notice it on Facebook while they were recording. The oh, show. so he just sees yeah. it on Facebook, and you just see him breaking a keyboard. And yeah. does he elaborate at all on the show? Why he? Oh, yeah, no, that? he's like he's yelling. He's Johnny just said blah blah blah. And he's oh. and Mike, and Mike's kind of laughing, and like that's oh, Johnny being Johnny, right? You know, and like Jesse's mad. He's like, no, he's ruining. He has an opportunity here to be like, but no, he wants to do the conspiracy thing. Oh, everything's a fucking conspiracy. Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, you know, well, it was a faking gay event. I mean, again, it was a media fakery thing. That's all these things ever are. Like, no, no guy who's saying, no, nobody, look, dude, you want to know how these, you know, these things are fake because nobody important ever gets killed. If people really wanted to make a difference by doing these shootings, somebody important would die. That's how, it, that's how change happens. Change doesn't happen by some rando going into a church and shooting randos. And it's always a church. You know what I mean? It's uh, change is happening from, from these shootings, all right? The change is much, many more restrictions on speech. And uh, the alt-right and the dissident right has gotten a horrible reputation. So prior to Charlottesville, no one died as a result of alt-right activism. And now you have all these horrible massacres that can be tied into the alt-right. So the alt-right's reputation changed from being merry pranksters to deadly Nazis. So yeah, it mattered. It changed. It's like yeah, where people are trying how, to just relax with their family. Like that's like, not how real <laughs> dissidents react. Act. You know, they they don't go. Guys that want to enact real change, in, unless they're if, if these shootings are real, they're MK Ultra type things. You know, and that doesn't make them any more real. And that doesn't push any narrative other than um, allowing people to be racist, because that was like like. And uh, Jim says Luke invests all his dollars into subscribing to the New York Times, the Washington Post. So, I think my New York Times subscription cost me eight dollars a month. My Washington Time, Washington Post, and LA Times subscriptions, I believe, cost me a hundred dollars each a year. So I believe I spend about a hundred, my hundred dollars a month on subscriptions. I spend about eight dollars a month, uh, Wall Street Journal subscription. I think I spend two dollars a month for subscribing to the Athletic. I spend fifteen dollars a month for a Netflix subscription. I subscribe to Amazon Prime for two hundred dollars a year. I subscribe to BritBox for, for British TV shows on Amazon for $6 a month. I've been rewatching the, the classic show Yes Minister. I subscribe to Doc, the, the documentary channel, for I think $3 a month. And I subscribe to Apple News Plus for $10 a month. And I think those are all my subscriptions. So I spend about 100 120 Maybe hundred. Oh, then I subscribe to YouTube TV for about $65 a month. So I guess, yeah, I spend $200 a month on subscriptions. So given how much I, I use all of them, it's a, it's a pretty good deal. I mean, to go out to dinner, right? To go out to dinner would, you know, at a good restaurant would cost me 60, 80, $100, $120. So for the price of, of two good dinners, I get all these subscription services. 
like what 9-11, 9-11 allowed people to be racist towards Arabs, right? Yeah. You were allowed to say raghead because the ragheads took down the World Trade Center, right? You the only say, racism I've ever experienced in life out in the open was people thinking I'm Arab sometimes. So yeah, I understand. <laughs> right, but that's what I'm saying. The Americans are allowed to say that, right? You know? Yeah, but, um, especially right after it. I remember. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So and that's the thing is, and I, okay, so I wasn't agreeing with the white nationalist rhetoric there that, that, that this was a good thing for white uh, fat angry boomer says Luke Ford is broke because he makes a lousy salary. Well, th there are certain things that you should not talk about publicly, like how much money you have. And I know I've talked about that in the past, and I'm dialing that back. So, right, you should not, you know, with with very few exceptions, talk about your exact financial situation publicly. And there there are other things that just are self destructive to discuss publicly people to see that more white more people should do this and if more people did this then you know what i mean whatever whatever reason, opportunity to just be mean to like this small yeah. religious minority one, one thing i did want to say is that since since uh 2012 i have not i've not spent more than i've earned and starting in 2016 i began dramatically paying off all my credit card debt so i was carrying about fifty thousand dollars in credit card debt from 2009 up until about 2016, but I wasn't adding to it after 2012. And it just makes a huge difference in my happiness level. When I'm spending more than I'm earning, which was the case from the end of October 2007 until 2012, that was just a horrible feeling. So I'd quit writing on the porn industry. I'd lost my main source of income. I went back to school, trained to be an Alexander Technique teacher. So for those those uh, four and a half years, I was spending a lot more than I was earning. It's just the worst feeling. I was just, ugh. It's just like this feeling of doom was hanging over me, this feeling of, of dread. It was something that I, I couldn't let go of. And then from 2012 to 2016, I essentially made virtually no progress in, in paying off my credit card debt. I mean, just very limited progress, maybe $2,000 progress in, in those years. And so that was an awful feeling as well. Then, then in 2016, after I started going to 12-step programs for relating to money, so programs like Debtors Anonymous, Financial Underowners Anonymous, Underowners Anonymous, uh, Workaholics, uh, you know, there are all these different programs with regard to money. And I got uh, tremendous blessing and inspiration and energy and community from these programs. So by making connections in those programs, including one guy who was a stand-up comic who I'd been at his show and really enjoyed his show. And then I met him in one of these 12-step money programs. So meeting people in the programs, finding a community, that gave me tremendous strength and energy and enthusiasm to go out and start making the changes that I needed to make in my life. So when you sit around in a room and you share a common problem, whether it's sex addiction, porn addiction, love addiction, uh, debting, under-earning, adult child of alcoholics, you know, whatever the, the common affliction that you share with other people, and you're in a group where people are primarily sharing the message of how to get out rather than the mess, right? That's, that's a tremendous source of strength and energy because primary source of energy is getting on the same page with other people, creating that shared reality developing synchronized interactions with others. So they speak, you speak, you're all, you're all in a rhythm, you're building something together, you're forming bonds. Out of the bonds come, come a morality, an ethic, right? A, a commitment to each other, uh, supporting each other, and uh, 
yeah, it's tremendous source of power, energy, inspiration, just immediately started changing the way I thought, the way I spoke, the way I, I conducted myself, everything started getting better. That yeah, like, like when demographically has no sway and never well, it does though. It does look at look at London, all the you know, no, no, talk about here in the US. Oh, right, here in the US. <laughs> oh, yeah, right, right, right. right. <laughs> but like, that's what I meant. Anyways, he had a childish meltdown and smashed his keyboard, and I was just like, I can't take this guy seriously. The banks are laughing at you, Luke. Well, yeah, everyone told me I'll just declare bankruptcy. No way, it's uh, it's the Anglo Saxon in me. I don't declare bankruptcy, I, I pay off my debts, all right? I pay my debts just like that, that uh, family in, in Game of Thrones. So it was it was very good for me to do that. It was it was good for my sense of self-respect, for my inner core that I will pay off any debts that I take on. Serious ever again. And then they even did a thing. It was like a Jazz and Jesse, but it was Johnny and Jesse. And with him and J.O., J.O. sat there too and kind of refereed the whole thing where we talked about the whole scenario and how, and I wasn't going to bend. I'm not like, I'm not coming over to their side and saying, oh, I guess it was real. You guys proved it was real, right? Because I, I will always believe what I believe about Sandy Hook. I will always believe what I believe about 9-11. I will sure. always believe what I believe about Christchurch. So, um, and- Yeah, in other words, you're a total nutter. Why am I listening to this guy? Wow. Dirt, dirt release. And he's like, give me everything you got against Alum Buckery. And naive Canadian cutie Lauren, what's her what's her reaction to this? She gives dirt, <laughs> and then she complains about the dissident right, and she was like, "Wait, naive Canadian cutie, all right? She seems to be on a much better trajectory in life than you, JF." Yeah, now now I understand that it was wrong and that it was the wrong thing to do, and that Milo is a liar. But initially, I believed Milo. I believed that. So Milo came to her and said, "Look, Alan Buckery is plotting to become a leftist." I need your help, Lauren Sutton. Give me all the dirt you got from the days you were with him. And she gives the dirt. And then she's like, you know, there's a toxic culture in the dissident right. Okay, let's, uh, let's conclude the show maybe with something more, more uplifting. The mind-body relationship. And then at the same time, I'm noticing that you also say that this is just how my body reacts. Like, mm -hmm. and so, gen yeah, yeah, perfect. So that's a great observation. So the question is like, how does that work? And in my experience, oftentimes people who don't know what's going on in their mind feel it in their body. Yes. All right. And so if you know what you're feeling, right, if you're honest with yourself, you're honest with other people, you know what's going on inside your mind and inside your body, you're going to be much more effective, happy, healthy, and sane. And so if there is some kind of like, so I, I, I mean, I really see this oftentimes more with men, but like they don't know the vocabulary or they feel colorblind to their feelings, but they can like sense it in their body in terms of like tension or, you know, they get like a lot of tightness around the shoulders. They can clench their fists, things like that. So we can talk a little bit down the road if you'd like to about maybe how your body is sending you signals about how you feel about things, even if you're not consciously aware of them. Right. Um, okay. Also, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to go down the road of actually having a medical conversation, but one other thing that I've noticed is that, you know, there's good data that suggests that breathing issues and anxiety are actually like very tightly connected. Mm -hmm. um, so for example, diseases like asthma are worsened depending on your mental state. And there's actually like physiological reasons for that. So depending on, um, you know, hormones like cortisol and like other things, they can actually make your breathing worse. Um, so high stress states for prolonged periods of time will negatively impact your respiratory system. Mm -hmm. Um, so there may be something kind of there, but so those are just like, that, that's, you know, one or two thoughts. I wanted to hear yes, a little this bit is about Amaranth, kind of what your upbringing the, the was. Twitch because sometimes when people are feeling a certain way in terms of what I'm basically hearing from you is that you're not really sure who you are anymore. You're kind mm -hmm. of like losing yourself 
in the grind. Yeah. And it seems like a lot of the reason that you grind that way is because of these like big goals, like goals with a capital G. And so I was, and, and part of the reason that you have those big, I mean, yeah, goals can be good, but they always come with two downsides. One, they can tempt you into making shortcuts that uh, will bite you in the ass. And two, goals will tend to narrow your focus. I think part of the reason that you sacrifice yourself is because you do place other things. Right, so she's putting this big goal on being successful on Twitch and making lots of money, but it's coming at a tremendous toll to her mental health and her overall well-being. It's above you. Mm-hmm. And so the reason I was asking about your upbringing is because sometimes people are sort of taught that. So they're taught that they may be not as important as other things, or they're taught, oddly enough, like selfless sacrifice to the point of hurting yourself can be taught two ways. One is if you were very, very neglected. The second is if actually someone did that for you. And then you're kind of like, that was the behavior that was modeled. Right. Um, does any of that sort of like ring a bell or resonate or gain traction with you? I know I sort of kind of talked about a lot of different stuff. I understand what you're saying, but I don't think that any of that was actually in my childhood because for the most part, you know, my parents worked, like they still told me they loved me. You yep. know, it's like they've gotten frustrated with each other, but like as an adult, you understand why. As a kid, you're just like, oh, shut up. <laughs> so y'all are so annoying type of thing. Cause like, you know, yeah. you can hear them doing in like your room or outside, just about like stupid stuff. Like you didn't get cabbage. This is lettuce. It's like, <laughs> really really stupid things so yeah. i don't think that my childhood really affected me in that way as far as my upbringing maybe just the isolation set me on a path for like social issues mm -hmm. yeah. like nothing that really like it's not so much anything that they did specifically i guess more of what they didn't do as far as like show examples and like the stuff people socialize with each other sure. are, like, you know, me. yeah that sounds like they were pretty busy so they may not yeah. have had time to do that yeah so thanks for sharing that i, I think um i'm kind of with you there kate it doesn't seem like this is something that started in your childhood not everything does and so then let me ask you something, you know, when did you learn, how did you learn to like put yourself last? When hmm. did you start doing that? I'm not sure when. I feel like part of it was probably um, when I was streaming, I think in 2017. And then while I was streaming, one of my dogs started having like bloat, which is, um, I didn't find out until later what it was, but that's when like the dog's stomach, if he eats too fast or drinks too fast and then goes to do an activity, sometimes the stomach can start filling with air and then it turns. Right. So the compulsion with the, the dog, right. And this desire to rescue animals, all right. It's herself who she primarily wants to rescue, but she externalizes that desire to rescue herself and that desire to find a man who will rescue her from herself. I think most women want a, a husband, a man who will rescue them from themselves because most women have some understanding of their own self-destructive capacity unless a man is willing to say no to her and to put a halt to her self-destruction, she's not going to respect him. And if you're not willing to rescue yourself and you're not willing to settle down with a man who will will put a stop to some of your more self-destructive tendencies then you've got to find some place to go with that that desire to rescue and so for this you know gorgeous young twitch streamer and only fans porn star essentially she has just externalized all that desire to nurture onto rescuing animals you know what a waste Right, someone who could possibly be a good mother and a productive member of society. That's it for this week. Take care. Goodbye. Have a good Shabbos and bye-bye.